From time to time, these stories from state parks, national parks, state forests, national preserves, whatever you want to call them, they seem to have an element of cover-up to them. And it does seem like from time to time, the U.S. Forest Service is trying to hide something. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today, if you're feeling adventurous, we're going to get our way down into several different state, national, and provincial parks all across North America and share some downright creepy and allegedly true stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. Have you ever found yourself walking to the post office trying to drop off some packages when you are suddenly thrust into a mud puddle by a leaping elephant who decided that he wasn't going to wait for you to go by? As you are in the thrall of this muddy embankment you've been pushed into, you're suddenly thrust into an, a southern deathmatch in this puddle with the local homeless alligator who has suddenly thought you were challenging him for his sunning spot. And at the end of the day, none of this would have happened if you had just been using ship station like Swamp Dweller has been saying for so long now. Ship station is effortless. It integrates everywhere you sell online including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, and more. You can manage every order from one simple dashboard, automate routine shipping tasks, printing shipping labels, easily compare rates and delivery times to optimize every single shipment, and automate delivery notifications. With the best discounts in the industry, you'll never worry about paying for shipping again. You can get up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates and if that's not enough you can use my promo code to try ShipStation free for two months that's 60 days you can use promo code swamped today at shipstation.com again promo code swamped today at shipstation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial there is something wrong with Anastasia State Park by Soraya G I was feeling adventurous and decided to explore the Anastasia State Park independently. I had heard it was beautiful, with stunning ocean views and dense forests. The day was perfect for an outdoor adventurer like myself, with the sun shining and a gentle breeze blowing. However, as I began my journey, I noticed how quiet it really was around me. The only sounds I could hear were the rustling of leaves under my feet and the occasional bird making some sort of chirping sound. I walked for a couple of hours, taking in the breathtaking scenery around me. But as the sun started to set, I realized I had lost track of time and honestly had no idea where I had ended up. I tried to retrace my steps as best as I could, but every direction I turned seemingly looked the same. I started to feel anxious and got a bit scared. The forest had become dark and the silence had been peaceful earlier, but now it almost seemed deafening. The rustling of leaves now sounded like footsteps behind me. I tried my best to stay calm. I tried to call out for help, but my voice echoed through the trees without any response. Then, the forest darkness started to play tricks on my mind, and I could swear I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. My heart was racing, and I started to run, hoping to find my way back to civilization. But as I ran, the forest only seemed to get darker and more ominous. I could hear strange noises and whispers, but couldn't quite make out what they were saying. I stumbled upon an abandoned cabin after some time, and my relief was only short-lived as I noticed the door was slightly ajar. As I pushed the door open, the smell of decay filled my nostrils. I could see that the cabin had not been inhabited for quite some years, 
but I noticed fresh blood on the walls. I knew I had to leave and I had to get out of there fast. I ran out of that cabin and into the darkness of the forest once more. I could hear the footsteps behind me again and I knew that I was being pursued. I tripped and fell and as I looked up I saw the shadowy figure looming over me. The last thing I remember was the sound of my screams echoing through the forest as I was dragged away into the darkness. I woke up like quite some hours later, I couldn't tell you how long it was, disoriented and completely confused in the woods and with no memory of how I got there or what happened. To this day, I have never returned to Anastasia State Park, and I don't think I ever will. It took me quite a few hours to finally figure out where I was during the daytime hours, and luckily, I was able to follow a trail of smoke from a local campfire, so eventually I did find help. I will never, ever return to that area though. The memory, it still haunts me at night, and I've learned to never underestimate the dangers of exploring unknown territories alone, but I really don't know what happened to me that night. Whatever that shadow was, I don't know. Do not primitive camp in this state park. By Bagged Carpet 1313. I have always loved the great outdoors, so when I heard about the Amicalola Falls State Park, I knew I had to go. I packed my backpack with all the necessary camping gear and set off on my adventure. The park was vast and absolutely beautiful, with brushes of lush greenery and towering trees that seemed to touch the sky. As I hiked more profoundly into the park, I felt a sense of calm and tranquility come over me. The only sounds I could really hear were the rustling of leaves, birds chirping, and my own heartbeat. I genuinely felt at peace with nature and forgot all about my worries momentarily. Then, the sunset began to go down and I realized I still needed to set up camp. So I found a spot near a small creek, pitched my tent, and created a little fire. I sat by the fire enjoying the warmth and cooked myself a small dinner of canned soup. As the nighttime fell and the woods around me became darker and more ominous, the silence that had been peaceful earlier now seemed to be almost deafening and overpowering. The wind started to pick up and the trees began to creak as if they were whispering secrets to each other. It was honestly some of the creepiest things I've ever heard and I spent a lot of times out in the woods. I tried my absolute best to ignore the strange sense of unease creeping up on me. I settled into my tent and I began to read a book for some time, trying to calm my nerves in any way as I could. But as the hours passed, I realized that I couldn't shake off that feeling that I was being watched by something or someone. I heard strange noises outside my tent, and my heart began to race. I began to hear footsteps approaching me, and I suddenly knew I wasn't alone. Now, I wouldn't have been that concerned if it were, you know, multiple footsteps at a time, like a bear or an elk or whatever else might be out here, you know? But the fact of the matter is these were bipedal, and they sounded very deliberate, like they knew exactly where I was and they were coming straight toward me. I, I honestly tried to stay calm and reasoned with myself that it could have just been an animal or just another hiker. But the fear was overwhelming, and it was dark by this point. I peeked through the opening of my tent and a shadowy, tall figure was lurking in the darkness, hunched over. I couldn't determine who or what it was, but I knew it wasn't human after some time. The figure seemed to be getting closer and closer very slowly, 
and I felt like I was being trapped. I tried my best to scream out, but it was almost like my voice got caught in my throat. This figure lunged towards me, and, and I suddenly blacked out. But again, when I woke up, it was morning, and the sun was shining brightly. I couldn't remember what had even happened the night before, and I felt like I had a massive migraine. But I knew something wasn't right. As I started packing my tent, I had noticed my gear had been ransacked. Some items were missing, but I needed help remembering what they were. I hiked back to civilization, feeling shaken and scared, and I just couldn't shake off that something massively terrible happened. Obviously, after some time, I began slowly remembering everything that went on and that creature. But why didn't it kill me? Why did I just black out? And why did it seemingly just steal things from me? The ranger that I eventually walked up to and told about this was very skeptical and brushed it off as a bear attack, but I knew it was much more sinister. To this day, I still can't really fully explain what happened to me that night. I don't even know if it was a wild animal or something supernatural. But one thing is for sure, I'll never go back to Amicalola Falls State Park ever again, and you're damn sure I will always go camping with a freaking firearm. Goatman Spared My Life by Anonymous I honestly used to love to go jogging in my local state park. It was a great way to get in exercise, enjoy nature, and clear my head all at once. But today took a tor- But one day, things took a very terrifying turn. I set off on my usual route, enjoying the peak's peacefulness. The sun was shining, and there was a light breeze in the air. It was a perfect day for a jog. I had gone about a mile in when I heard something rustling in the bushes. At first, I thought it was just an animal, but as I got closer, I saw a figure moving in the trees. It was tall, with long, thin arms and legs covered in what looked like matted fur. It had a snout-like face with piercing red eyes that seemed to glow in the sunlight. I froze, not really knowing what to do. The creature started to move toward me, and I could hear its hooves pounding on the ground. I let out a blood-curdling scream, and I knew I had to run like my life depended on it. I took off as fast as I could, but the creature was fast and was catching up to me. I could hear its ragged breathing and felt its hot breath on my neck at one point. I turned around to face it, but it was far too late. The creature had begun to tackle me to the ground. I tried to fight it off, but it was far too strong. Its long, sharp claws dug into my skin and I could feel its hot breath on my face. I let out a scream of pain and I knew I was probably going to die here. As I began to lay on the ground, helpless, the goat man creature towering over me, its razor-sharp claws inches from my face, its snout-like nose twitched as it sniffed me, its red eyes boring into mine. I could smell the stench of its breath, a mix of rotting meat and decaying vegetation. Its fur was matted and greasy, covered in dirt and leaves. I could feel the heat radiating from its body and the weight of it pressing down on me. I struggled to break free, but the Goatman creature was just far too strong. It uttered a piercing scream, and I knew it was over. Uh, I, I just resigned myself there, closed my eyes, and waited for the final blow. But, out of nowhere, something really strange happened. The Goatman creature suddenly stopped attacking me, and just took off into the trees, vanishing right then and there. I honestly laid there for who knows how long, confused and absolutely terrified. 
Not knowing what to do, after a few moments, I managed to finally pull myself together, get to my feet, and started my best to run towards the entrance. My heart was pounding, my legs felt like lead, and I didn't stop until I was finally out of that dreaded park. Luckily, my wounds seemed to be more superficial than anything. When I got home, I, I was in shock. I couldn't believe what the heck had just happened to me. I spent the rest of the night pacing back and forth in my room, trying to make sense of it all. I didn't know if I should tell my parents who to tell, who would believe me. The next day, I went to the library to research goat-man-type creatures, and I discovered there were legendary creatures, half-human, half-goat, originating in Greek mythology. There were stories of goat-man animals throughout history with sightings worldwide, even in Texas, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, all over. But I knew what I had seen was real and was no mere myth. The goat-man creature in the park had terrifyingly been real. I tried to warn the park authorities, but they thought I was just playing a prank. They told me it was probably a wild animal, some sort of dog or something, and I was lucky to have escaped. But I knew the truth. The Goatman creature was still out there, waiting for his next victim. Maybe he wouldn't be so... sparing to the next. I never returned to that park again, and I warned everyone that I knew to stay away. The beast is still lurking in the shadows, waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike again. I just know it. Why I Quit My Job as a Park Ranger by Turbo Baker 67 I've been a park ranger for over 15 years, and I've seen some pretty strange things in my time. But nothing could have prepared me for what I saw that night in the state park. It was late, and I was making my rounds, checking the various campsites and hiking trails. That's when I stumbled upon the remains of a dead bear, it looked like I had been mauled by something much bigger and more powerful. I took a few pictures to document the scene and send it to the higher-ups for investigation. The last thing we needed was a giant cannibal bear around. As I was about to leave the area, something caught my eye. A shadowy figure moving in the trees nearby just out of my line of sight. I figured it had to be some deer or something like that, so I approached slowly, trying not to startle it. But as I got closer... I realized this indeed was no deer. It was something much more grotesque. It had the body of a man but the face of a bear. Its eyes glowed a bright red and its teeth were long and sharp. It was covered in thick matted fur and smelled like death. I froze in terror as the creature began to growl and snarl. I knew I had to leave but my legs just wouldn't carry me away. It was like they were rooted to that spot. That's when the creature charged at me. I tried to run, but it was far too fast. It tackled me to the ground, and I felt its hot breath on my face. I thought I was going to die right then and there, but as fast as it had attacked me, it ran into the woods, leaving me shaken and scared. I don't know why. As I tried to collect myself and the radio for backup, I, I, I couldn't help but feel like something was watching me. Like this thing wasn't actually gone, you know? The feeling of being followed just never left me even as I drove away from that state park. I tried to shake it off as just my nerves, but something about the encounter with that creature had left a deep mark on me. Over the next few days, I dug into the park's history to find any records of strange sightings or reports of animals acting oddly. That's when I stumbled upon an old newspaper article from the mid-1950s. It talked about a group of loggers who had gone missing in the woods never to be seen again. 
The article described how some loggers had reported seeing some strange creatures with a man's body and a bear's face in the woods before disappearing. I couldn't even believe what I was reading. Was it possible that the creature I had encountered was the same thing that had been reported all those years ago? Or maybe it was just one of his children or something? I knew I had to investigate further to figure this out. So I did return to that area where I had seen the creature, armed with a camera and a flashlight. I searched the woods for hours to find evidence of its existence. That's when I stumbled upon a cave. It was hidden behind a large boulder. I would have missed it if I hadn't paid more attention. I cautiously approached the cave, shining my flashlight inside. What I saw made my blood run cold. The cave was littered with bones, some of them clearly human. The air was thick with the stench of death, and I could hear something breathing deep within the darkness. I knew I had to get out of there before this thing would get me and not spare me like it did before. As I turned to leave, I swear I just had this feeling of being watched all over again. As I began to turn to leave, something grabbed my ankle. I fell to the ground and my flashlight flew out of my hand. I could feel something trying to pull me back into the cave, dragging me towards the darkness. I fought with all my strength, kicking and screaming, and eventually I was able to break free and run from the cave. The only thing I lost in that process was one of my hiking boots. I stumbled into the daylight, gasping for air. I never turned back, I never looked back, and I never even went back to that state park. I, I quit right then and there on the spot, and I left. And I forever will feel this deep dread. I, I was just lucky enough to make it out alive. Twice. To this day, I still wonder what that creature is. Whether it's still out there in the woods waiting for its next victim. And where it even came from. Hey Swamp, I hope this letter finds you well. It's your friend from Washington again. I can't thank you enough for reading my last letter. Seeing so many kind words of support and the request for an update mean more than you can imagine. It gave me the courage to finally tell my wife everything. And while it was a difficult conversation, the relief that came with it made me feel 20 years younger. I'm sorry I can't use real names. But where the internet is concerned, there's really no such thing as too careful. Hopefully, I can make it up to the swamp with some new information. The first thing you should know is Amy resigned. I miss her, but I'm glad she's not in danger anymore. Do you remember how worried I was at the end of my last letter? For those who don't know, she had recurring nightmares, where she was reliving her encounter with the creature. At first it was the same. But when the monster should have disappeared, it turned to face her. It even began walking towards her, getting a little closer each night until it was only a few feet away. The nightmare she had next was so bad, her wife told Rick to trash everything left in her locker because she was not coming for it. There wasn't much there, just some pictures and a few basics, but it felt wrong to throw them away. I drove to Amy's after work, expecting to leave her box by the door. But when I got out of the car, her wife was waving to me. Thanks for going through the trouble. Can you stay for some coffee? She asked, already leading me inside. The nightmare that finally made, Amy quit gives me chills to write. This time, she was face to face with the creature. Its mouth inches from her own, and it began whistling a sad, eerie tune she could not identify. The sound made her feel safe and calm. But after waking, 
she realized it was more like hypnosis. Is it an extension of the monster's abilities or the result of psychological trauma? Yes. She said the eyes looked the same as what we saw on camera, but I had previously described the eye I saw. It's easy for our minds to warp images into what we expect to see. I've spent an unhealthy amount of time fixated on this, and I'm fairly comfortable with my personal conclusion. Though, please keep in mind this is purely my theory. The night she saw the creature standing over that little girl, her brain realized an important detail, and the nightmares were its way of relaying that information. Now that it has, it's finished. Those whistles seem to have a literal hypnotic effect. But if that's true, who knows if it can hold sway over our dreams. I admit, my judgment is biased. I hate thinking the creature could appear in my dreams, or that it could potentially regain control over my friends. We didn't have anyone to cover for Amy the first night, so Ranger Rick himself partnered with me for the shift. I don't think he's a bad guy. I was admittedly spiteful about the withheld information, but now that I understand more about what he does, it's hard to blame him. He's following orders, just like me. He needs a paycheck, just like me. The problems we have at night are also happening during the day. It's not like they're walking around in sunshine and daisies while we're fighting monsters in the dark. The guests are also much more active during their shift, which makes it much harder to keep track of people in their territory. Apparently this kind of stuff has been happening for as long as anyone remembers, but never so blatantly as what we've been experiencing recently. The last few months specifically are making Rick's mysterious bosses quite nervous, and frankly, the way he refers to them as management makes me quite nervous. Okay, maybe it doesn't sound as sinister when you read it, but it sounds something very men in blacky. Something with conspiratorial inflection, if you get what I mean. Normally, there are entire decades where literally nothing happens. Then, they'll have a cluster of disappearances and accidents for a few months. The cycle was always the same. Until now. This time it's not stopping, and no one knows what to do. Even Rick isn't sure if management knows what the creature actually is. But the rangers call it the Whistler. Fair enough, I suppose. Most of the stories he shared were the same, but none was more particularly chilling than the one that took place his rookie year in the 1990s when he was responding to reports of black bears near the lodges. Back then, there were only a few cabins on each side of the lake. When this incident took place, one was occupied by a family of five and a young couple was staying on the opposite bank. The order came at the end of a dark, drizzly day, and the real storm was due to start any minute. There hadn't been a Whistler sighting in eight years, and nothing about this report raised any flags when the senior rangers passed it off to Rick. He drove a golf cart to the lake and was greeted by the family waving from a window. They were afraid to come out for some reason. Rick joined them and listened with growing apprehension as the storm began in earnest. It started with a large black animal trying to open the metal trash cans. Mr. Gordon used his air horn to scare the beast away, but instead of fleeing it turned to face him, rising to its full height and glaring angrily. That's when he saw that it was no bear and yelled for his shotgun. 
In the process of explaining how the creature fled before he could shoot, Mr. Gordon's story was interrupted by frantic screaming outside. The young couple was racing toward them, waving their arms and begging for help. Once safely indoors, they walked through each room checking every window. When satisfied nothing had followed them, they were able to explain. They had been eating dinner when the patio door slid open. They looked over to see a hulking beast with bright red eyes. The couple escaped through the front door and ran straight for the park ranger's golf cart. Both the family and the couple wanted to leave. Rick too, for that matter. But the weather made it easier said than done. The storm knocked out the phone line, and there was no response on the radio. Even if everyone could somehow fit into the small cart, it would be incredibly dangerous to drive in this weather. The weather reports had only warned against heavy rain, but in a span of just a few minutes it developed into tree-bending gusts of wind, lightning streaked across the sky, cracks of thunder shook the walls, and there was a frightening threat of tornado activity as the temperature dropped drastically. Rick was out of his depth and terrified, but he couldn't show it. He had to be in charge. In the 90s, it wasn't a big deal if a ranger licensed to carry wanted to bring their handgun to work. Rick's 38 and Gordon's shotgun were the only real weapons the group had as they waited in the cabin's living room. They were trapped and had no clue where or what the creature was, but things weren't exactly hopeless. The doors and shutters were locked, and soon, Help would be sent to investigate why Rick didn't come back after the bear sighting. At least, that's what he told the others, leaving out the part where they might assume he was simply unable due to the weather conditions. Regardless of rescue chances, they should be able to wait out the storm as long as nobody panicked. The larger a group is, the harder they are to control, especially for a single person in charge. Rick asked the children to check the phone lines every few minutes as a distraction. Quiet children make happy parents, but he knew it would be weeks until they were functional again. The five adults were whispering amongst themselves for only a few minutes before the girls called out, The phone is working! Rick, assuming they were either mistaken or joking, simply said to make sure no one else used it. The eight-year-old lifted the receiver once again, firmly stating, You can't be on this line. And everyone fell into a stunned silence as a deep, menacing voice replied, no one is sure what it said, and the girl wouldn't repeat it, but she dropped the phone screaming while it was still talking. Rick rushed to hang it up, hoping he could use it after all, but the line was dead. After that, the girls were given coloring books, and the phone was unplugged. An hour passed with no relief in sight. Help wasn't coming, but something else was. From the patio doors beyond the nearly solid wall of rain... Mrs. Gordon was able to make out the shape of a hulking black figure. That's when the whistling began. It was the warped ring around the rosy tune, and it didn't stop when the creature darted away. It was gone as quickly as it appeared, zipping between trees as it circled the cabin. They would catch glimpses of it, even closer from a different window only to watch it vanish before their eyes yet again. All the while, they were moving as well, but they weren't consciously aware of being herded. Finally, as they stood grouping near the sliding doors, the beast returned, face pressed to the glass. For a brief, but horrifying moment, no one moved. They were frozen in place, looking at the face of evil. 
that they didn't even know existed a day ago. Their paralysis was broken suddenly by the sound of shattering glass as the whistler came inside and chaos erupted. Rick and Mr. Gordon tried taking aim, but the creature moved too fast in a crowded room. In seconds, the young woman was being carried through the shattered doors out into the raging storm. The poor girl's boyfriend ran after her and leapt onto the whistler's back with a proud but ultimately useless roar of angry defiance. With the couple in the way, no shots could be fired as the mortifying silhouette disappeared into the wall of rain. The parents could do nothing to shield their children from the screams that came next, but they ended quickly. The creature did not return, and when the storm finally passed three hours later, rangers were sent to the occupied campgrounds to perform wellness checks. When they found Rick, he and the family told them everything, all the way down to the whistler's red eyes, round, contracting mouth, and horrible smell. But the main point they stressed was the whistling. You'd think that they would warrant an investigation or something. Two people were dead. The creature they saw up close clearly was not human. But animals cannot whistle, especially not a distorted song. A big fuss was raised for the Gordon's sake. They would be attending family therapy sessions for up to ten years because of that night. Management was terrified of the implications that might arise from the fact that this all happened while a park ranger stood five feet away. But once those people left, that was the end of it. I don't find that surprising. I would never want to think about that experience ever again. Rick wasn't willing to answer any of my questions. I'm not sure if he told me this story to warn me up about the Whistler, management, or secrecy, but I think it was intended as a friendly warning. Who knows what I could have learned if I would have taken longer to replace Amy. From that night alone... I also heard a dozen examples of hikers being stalked on the trails and campers being tormented in the night. One story even sounded like the couples from Mississippi, the ones who basically played red light green light with the invisible thing, but none of the other stories came close to that one on the lake. Thankfully, I've had one personal incident since my last encounter, and that's all. It happened to me and my new partner in the damn fog yesterday. Chris had to drop out of college to help care for his sick mother. He and his sister are doing their best, but he needs to get the hell away from the park before the choice is taken away from him. It's one thing for the older roughneck types like myself, but I hate seeing the young ones out there. I know that sounds hypocritical, but at least if I died, my family would mourn with a comfortable insurance payout. His family would have nothing but more debt on top of their broken hearts. I tried to warn Chris delicately at first, but nightmares and whistling didn't faze him, nor did Tyler's memorialized Facebook page. Nothing got through to this kid, so I decided to let nature take its course. Most of us learned the hard way, but I didn't expect him to get thrown straight into the deep end. Five of our bigger lodges are rented out to families for their reunions and bigger events. They arrived over the weekend and planned to stay for ten days but who knows what they'll do now. After breakfast, a husband and wife left for a day of hiking. Though they didn't have a specific route or destination in mind, Jared, the husband, simply told his brothers they would be back from exploring by dinner time. Both were experienced hikers who loved to go camping and hiking and doing all kinds of mountain climbing in their spare time. There was no doubt that they were already dead. 
When the sun had fully set and the couple's food was hours cold, the family began to worry in earnest. As Chris and I passed by on patrol, all five cabins were lit up. In the windows, we saw multiple people pacing on their phones while teenagers hauled flashlights and various supplies out the dozen men who were hunched over park maps. Our radio crackled to life. At the same time the family noticed us, we were told to wait with them at the lodges. Search and rescue was on the way, and they didn't want to lose anyone else, which is understandable, but difficult to manage. We stood in front of nearly 40 people and said, You can't go looking for your family members because your sense will confuse the dogs. You know, because we couldn't say, they're already dead, but we'd rather perform fake searches than admit the truth. Of course, that was far too easy for a night at the park. The whole bunch reluctantly agreed to stay near the cabins except for the ones who were already gone. Jared's two brothers set off 15 minutes before we arrived, and now three more wanted to bring those guys back. That didn't leave much wiggle room for our options. We had to find those brothers or the other three would be sneaking off under our noses. There are five trails in that area. Four are very easy and used to navigate the park, and the other one is for people who specifically want the full hiking experience. Since the missing couple were avid hikers, the brother chose to start there, which yes, it was obviously the logical conclusion, but I couldn't help feeling a strong resentment toward them as our flashlights illuminated the rocky, uneven terrain. We set a fast pace, probably too fast, but I hoped the men were stopping periodically to search for tracks and call out the couple's names. If they had, we would have found them relatively fast. 30 minutes later, that theory was dead and we were on a split path. Chris wanted to split up, rookies, am I right? but I shut that shit down fast. We took a closer look at the trail, and there were tracks on the left side that looked fresh. Well, when compared to the other side, I'm not very good at that sort of thing, but I happened to be right on this occasion. We walked for another five minutes before beginning to hear faint voices in the distance. Soon, we could understand their words. They were calling for Jared and Emily. It was the brothers. We had been ready to collapse after the ridiculous pace we kept but finding them gave us a second wind. I shouted their names as we ran, and almost didn't notice the wisp of fog at our feet. My heart dropped into the stomach, like a lead weight, and I came to a dead stop grabbing Chris as I did so. We fell to the ground in a tangle, but it didn't matter. I ignored him continuing calling for the brothers while struggling back to my feet. The rookie didn't understand what was happening but he followed me in silence as I crept around the next curve and saw huge clouds of pouring white fog enveloping the trees. Roughly 20 feet ahead, the brothers were standing half-shrouded in it already. In my desperation to get them away, I said something horribly misleading. We have very important news about your brother. Please come with us. I screamed so loud my voice cracked. The shadowy figures turned their heads and my eyes filled with tears of relief when they began walking towards us away from the goddamn fog. Before they reached us, though, I began walking back. I had to keep us moving, so we wouldn't stop and miss anything. We couldn't stop and discuss. We had to keep going. I didn't plan to stop until we were indoors, but not long after passing where the road split, the brothers didn't leave me much of a choice. They refused to go any further without an explanation. No matter how desperate I was to get them away from there, I just couldn't bring myself to keep their hopes any higher. When your mother needs you, didn't work, I tried. They were spotted near one of the mountain trails a few hours ago. That one did the trick. 
They resumed walking and I happily did the same. Then Chris opened his mouth and I've never wanted to punch someone so badly in my entire life. You fellas go ahead. I'm going to make sure Mrs. Robinson didn't get lost in this fog. He ran off ignoring every word I said as he went. Who the hell is Mrs. Robinson? You may ask. Oh, she's the imaginary lady we need to check on when a particularly chatty guest doesn't want to let us go. We don't do it often, but you gotta remember we're working night shifts, and if somebody is holding us for a random 30-minute conversation at 3am, you can bet it's a freaking weird one. Hell, some of them would probably fit in on this channel, but I'm not trying to drag you guys along on a tangent. The point is, I couldn't let the fool run off alone, so I had to send the brothers ahead and chase after him. One of the first things I ever said to you guys were just regular people, and that certainly hasn't changed. I followed my partner because he was in danger, and I couldn't leave him behind. That being said, I couldn't walk into that fog either. I stopped before reaching the low, wispy edges that fanned out around the wall. I begged him to turn back. The last speck of his silhouette was fading, and I knew he was gone forever the moment it did. Then, there was a low monstrous growl that felt like the sound itself was wind, blowing beneath my skin and through my bones. Tears were already falling down my cheeks as I thought of his sick mother and how his sister would be all alone, the tiny speck of Chris that was left in my peripherals. Chris was magnified through my blurry vision, and even as it continued growing, I thought nothing of it until the screaming began. It wasn't a death wail. It was the terrified scream of a man who saw something absolutely horrible, and it made me smile. Soon Chris will be beyond that wall, still screaming, and the utter look of relief that crossed his face upon seeing me made him look six years old. However, briefly, it was gone in the same instant, replaced by guilt and shame. He almost fell while trying to look back, and only then did I realize the big question. The one you guys are probably going to ask immediately. Is something chasing him? No, it wasn't. Not this time, but he might not be so lucky next time. Or me either, for that matter. We radioed the others that we were heading back, and Chris stared at his feet while trying to explain he would never, never ever have forgiven himself if they turned those brothers away. And it cost the hikers their own lives. I already knew that. That's why we all pull stupid stunts in the beginning, but I wanted to know what happened in the fog. He only intended to walk straight for a few minutes, but it was less than 60 seconds when the ground suddenly disappeared along with everything below his knees. The fog was too thick to even see his outstretched hand, and that was enough to make him turn back, except as he did something heavy, suddenly ran several steps toward him. Chris jumped, spinning around as he searched for the source, but there was only fog everywhere he looked. Even worse, he lost his sense of direction and had no clue which way he had originally been facing. Scared of going the wrong way, he stood in place and called to me, but I never heard him. While listening for a response, he took a few steps forward and noticed it was slightly easier to see. Wanting to be out of the fog more than anything, he went a little further until the ground was visible again. That's when he heard a crunching sound, like a dog with a bone, and the occasional meaty rip. That's when he saw it. The whistler sucked up an intestine like spaghetti, but the visible body parts were not gender-specific. He doesn't know if it was Jared or Emily, and if this ruins spaghetti for you, I sincerely apologize. 
Chris backed away slowly at first, but then a whimper escaped his throat and the creature stopped eating. My incredibly lucky-to-be-alive partner screamed and ran away without looking back. It was nothing short of a miracle that he happened to run in the right direction. I don't understand why we could not hear each other's screams in the beginning, but we could at the end. Of course, I don't understand most of this stuff, but some things make even less sense than usual. Eventually, we passed the search and rescue teams on their way to secure the fog with their fancy automatic rifles. I bet the family didn't see it. The wall didn't begin to disperse until dawn, and by then there wasn't even blood left in the grass. The family extended their stay indefinitely while the search continues, but Chris and I are being moved as far away as possible so we won't be tempted to answer any of the guests' persistent questions. I'm not complaining. Even if I tried to warn them, they wouldn't believe me. People like that would go straight to my boss claiming I tried to scare them away or something equally ridiculous. It's safer and easier to avoid the spotlight. Well, that's all I have for now. I'm sorry there isn't more, but I didn't want to wait any longer to send this in. As much as I love writing to you, I won't be heartbroken if things are slow for a while. It might be cool to research other past incidents. Maybe I could map the events on a timeline to see if any unusual patterns or connections emerge. Anyway, thanks again, everyone. You guys have really made this whole situation bearable. Sometimes, I wonder how many other people had their sanity saved by this channel. One of the other stories described it as coming home to a big house full of your friends, and that's exactly what it feels like for me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Swamp Dweller True Scary Stories Podcast. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button because it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that helps us reach fresh new eyes. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, please be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. There's also an email in the description you can use. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please be sure to give us a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms and it's very much appreciated. Don't forget to join me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all the good social medias. I'm pretty much everywhere and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.